It is good to be in God's house this morning. It is good that we have got some, some beautiful fall weather. I don't know about you guys, but I, I feel blessed at the, at the good weather that we have had over the last couple of weeks, so we thank the Lord for that. We're going to dig in. We have started a new little mini-series called Miracles, a study in John, and so we are on the third miracle in the book of John today, John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, please turn. If you do not have a Bible, have no fear. We're going to pop it up on the screen as we read in just a second, so you don't have to worry about it. If you just want to sit back, you can. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. We're going to read through these verses, and then when we get done, we'll pray, and then we will jump right into them. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water, because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, Pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore, so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now. We just thank you for uh, these verses that we are uh, reading today, and I pray that you would just help us to get something out of it, God, that you would help us to um, be blessed by the reading of your word, that something in there, dear Lord, your Holy Spirit will reveal that we need to hear. So I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross today as I preach. I pray that you would clear our minds, God, that we would focus on you, God. This is your time. This is not time for us to sit and wander about things of the world, what we're going to do after church, what we're going to do next week. But, God, this is your time. And so help it to be your time, God, and help us to just be blessed by being in your presence. And I pray that you be with us as we, as we study here today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. All right, there's one, one, one bit of, 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 
I guess, teaching more than preaching that we will get out of the way before we uh, dig into the text. And that is the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4 in, these, in this chapter 5. Now, this is a difficult verse because of this reason. There are many manuscripts that, that we have of, of the Old Testament writings. Now, we don't have any of the original writings. We don't have any of the original uh, letters that Paul wrote in their hand. All that we have to go by is copies of copies of copies. Now, as you can imagine, handwritten copies copies of copies of copies uh, get torn, they get kind of smudged up. As one person copies one thing, he may uh, not understand a word, he may put a different word, there may have been uh, footnotes and stuff that they put in the columns that later got, got put into these, uh, these manuscripts that we have. And so what we have that our Bible is translated from, from the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, is we have different manuscripts that have to be used. Now the problem is, is that the oldest manuscript manuscripts that we have that we can go by when people are translating the Bible, they do not include the end of verse 3 or verse 4. Those are not included in the oldest manuscripts that we have to go by. And some newer manuscripts that were discovered later, the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, being some of those new ones that were discovered, when we found those newer manuscripts, we found out that they predated the oldest thing that we previously had, and they weren't in there, but they were in the newer ones. And so that posed a problem, because for years, in the earlier translation, King James and all those early ones, they included these verses, the end of verse 3 and verse 4. In our newer translation, since we have found older materials that do not include these, there is much question and debate as to whether or not they belong and at which point they were added. Some of your Bibles may not even include the end of verse 3 and verse 4. Some of your Bibles may jump from verse 3 to verse 5. I don't know. Most Bibles nowadays will have those verses in parentheses or in quotations or in italics, and there will be a footnote that will say, hey, we're not sure if these verses go or not. So, some of you, if you are reading and I got to verse 4, you said, my Bible don't have verse 4. That's why your Bible does not have verse 4. Now, the question as to whether or not these verses are, are relevant or not, whether the information in them causes any problem or not, I don't know that that information really makes a bit of difference. That doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't really sway the point of these verses one way or another. So, get that out of the way, and then we will jump in. We'll get to those, and we'll talk about those a little more when we get to them. So, what Jesus had just done in the weeks prior, or a few months prior, we don't know how much time had taken place, but uh, before this in the Bible, what we had seen Jesus do was he had turned water into wine. That is more than likely the first miracle that, that he ever did. That's definitely the first one that we see in Scripture. It was something, if we can call it this, it was simple. It wasn't, he didn't raise somebody from the dead. It wasn't something extravagant. It was something as simple as turning water into wine. He had just called his disciples uh, to come with him before he had done that, and so that probably, if nothing else, got their attention to say, whoa, there's something about this guy. Now, they already had faith in Jesus. They already had trusted him. Obviously, they wouldn't have been followed him, but they, they were able to see that miracle uh, that had took place. Last week, we saw Jesus heal a royal official's son. Uh, this was a this was a little more a little, little more intense miracle. It wasn't something so simple as turning water to wine, if we can call it that again. But uh, but it was it was healing a boy that was that was looked like he was going to die. It didn't look like that there was any hope. His father believed that. The servants believed that, and he began to seek out Jesus. And that is the same for you and I. That is what we should do when we know Jesus is nearby and we know he can be found. 
just like this guy, he knew Jesus was nearby and he knew he could be found. And so he left his place and he went to, to, to find Jesus to seek him for the healing of a son. And so it is for you and I. We saw that in the miracle last week that, that, that Jesus is always near us. He may not be sitting physically beside us, but Jesus is always near. And so we need to seek him when we have problems. We need to seek him when we need forgiveness. We need to seek him for guidance. We need to seek him for strength. And so on the heels of that last miracle, we see this third miracle. Now, Jesus was going into Jerusalem here, and it says, After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know which of these festivals it was. There were several festivals that the, that the Jewish people took part in. This could have been the Passover. It may not have been the Passover. We're not really sure what festival it is, but Jesus, being a Jew, would take part in these festivals that was take place. And so he was going to Jerusalem to take part in this festival. It says, By the sheep gate in Jerusalem there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. So, here we're starting to get the scene set for us. Uh, around Jerusalem were all these different gates. In the Old Testament, especially if you read Nehemiah, we won't go through them all, but they were all, there were a bunch of gates and the people were supposed to use certain gates for certain things. Well, by this gate called the Sheep Gate was a pool known as Bethesda. Now, I think it is relevant for us to notice that, that John even includes the Sheep Gate in this text because Jesus is the Lamb of God. John had already introduced us to this language of Jesus being the Lamb of God earlier in the book of John. And it is no coincidence, I don't think, that here is Jesus by the sheep gate, by this pool of Bethesda. Now let's learn a little bit more about this pool and what made it unique. Within these lay a large number of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, that is where some of our manuscripts that we have to go by stop, where it talks about the people who were there. Now, imagine, if you will, for a second, a pool that was there, and there were, there were these five colonnades that surrounded it, and there were lots of people there. Who knows how many countless uh, people were there? But there were people there because that they believed that they were going to be healed. They were, they were lame, they were paralyzed, they had all kinds of sicknesses, and they believed that they were going to be healed. And of all the places for Jesus to be, he wasn't at the temple, he wasn't sitting right up in the middle of the church, lo and behold. He was at this pool surrounded by a bunch of sick people. Now, that may not seem like much on the surface, but that was a big deal in that day and age. That was a big deal because uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all these that we read about so often in the text, they didn't want to associate with those people who were sick because they thought it was a result of their sinfulness. They didn't want to be seen with the sick people. They didn't want to be seen with the sinners. Go back and read the New Testament. You see that constantly throughout the four gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rabbis of the day, they didn't want anything to do with the people. But lo and behold, where does Jesus go to when he first gets into town but to minister to the sick people? You know, that's why the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so many of the Jews did not like Jesus because he totally went in there and he was radical to what they were taught, what they were teaching, what they had believed. Because see, what the problem was is that they had missed, they had missed what the Lord warned them to get from his word. You see, they had what we call the Old Testament. They had the law, but they missed the purpose of the law. 
They were trying to live by the letter of the law, but they still had a lot of bitterness and anger and hatred and judgment and, and pride and all these things were still in their heart. Even though they were following the letter, they had missed the point. And so they weren't doing what God intended for them to do. And when Jesus came onto the scene, He was loving people. He was loving people that, that previously the Jews said were unlovable, that you were to stay away from. And lo and behold, here Jesus comes to this pool, the Lamb of God, by the sheep gate. He comes to the pool, and here He finds all the sick and the lame and the paralyzed. Waiting for the moving of the water, because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. Now, that's again, that's a verse that is not in both manuscripts. Is it, is it relevant? Should it be there? Could it be there? I don't know. I don't think it has much bearing either way. If it should be there, and it is true, it is believable. It is not unbelievable for me to think that God, in all of His power, could use an angel to do some miraculous things like this. We see God use angels to do many things for His... For his uh, kingdom to do what God desires for them to do. So we see God use angels. It's not unheard of. It's not that hard for me to believe that God could use an angel to do this. So it could very well be true. Whether he used an angel to do it or not, I don't know. The waters were, were definitely stirred, and we see that in verse 7. We see that, uh, that the man talks about not being able to get there and be healed. Some would say that the reason that this verse was added was to explain verse 7, that this was the tradition, and maybe it wasn't true, but that was the tradition, that that's why the waters stirred. So it would seem apparent to me, just in reading the text, that there was some stirring of the water. Whether or not it was an angel, that I do not know. I do not know if it was an angel that stirred the water. One theory says that this pool was fed by a spring and that sometimes that as the water would rush in that the pool would stir and the people would think that it was an angel stirring it and they would think that there was a certain healing that would take place there when in all reality there was not any healing taking place. Again, just based on this text, it's hard for us to know for sure. Were these people being healed or were they not being healed? Apparently this man believed that there was some healing going on. After all, the text says that he had been there for 38 years. 38 years this guy had been waiting for healing at this pool. Now, we don't know if this guy was sick from birth. It could have been something that he was born with, some illness, something that he was dealing with. It could have been something that he got later on in life. Whether he was born with it, whether he got it later on in life, he had been struggling with this for 38 years, and he was waiting by this pool, hoping to be healed. Now, this reminds me of, of a story I heard about a place in Haiti. Now, we haven't been to this place in any of our trips, and I'm not even sure exactly where it's located, but it's a, it's a, it's a pool of water. It's, out, it's a natural pool of water. I believe it's fed by a waterfall, if I'm not mistaken. And, and people believe that they can get healed by going to this place. And on a certain day of the year, there are, I believe, countless of thousands of Haitians that go to this place and feel like if they can get in this water, that they can be healed. And so this is not an uncommon thing. We see this in the text, but we also see it in our modern day. And I'm sure that there are probably other places where people think that that can be the case. That was the case here. People thought that they were going to be healed by this pool. Whether or not they really were, I do not know. All right, let's read a little further. Verse 5. 
One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Now that seems like an interesting question. That seems like an interesting question because Jesus knew that he was sick. Jesus knew that he had been there for 38 years. That seems obvious that he would want to get well, right? That he would want to get out of the situation that he was in. Let's read a little further. Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. So Jesus asked him if he wants to be healed. And he doesn't, he doesn't say yes or no. He, he gives an excuse, if we can call it that. He says, look, I can't get there in time to be healed. This is, this is where I have, if I want to be healed, I have to get to this pool, and I can't get there in time. Somebody else beats me, and so I'm not, I'm not healed. But the question that Jesus asked is, do you want to get well? Now let's stop there for a second, and let's think about that, that, that question in our own lives. Now, for a lot of us, for all of us, we struggle with sin. Sin is something that, that we have to, to, to fight against the temptation on a daily basis. None of us are, 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 are free from that. We are all uh, suffer from that. We all are tempted to think the wrong thing, to say the wrong thing, to do the wrong thing. And many times, many times, we do just that. We don't, we don't, we're not able to fight off that temptation. We just give right in to sin. The problem is, is that a lot of times we begin to live in sin and we begin to enjoy it. We, we continue to live in that sinful lifestyle and we do those things that aren't right, but we do them because they just feel so good and we just have so much fun and everything is just good and we continue to give in to sin. And for the Christian, we know better than that. And we know that we should do better and we kind of throw up these little half-hearted prayers, oh God, help me to do better, but we don't ever want to help ourselves. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is, is convicting some of you guys, and maybe the Holy Spirit has been doing that for, for days or weeks or months. And, and you read God's Word, and you just feel the Spirit maybe asking you a similar question, maybe not in those same words, but do you want to get well? Do you want to be freed from this thing that is burdening you, that is weighing you down, that's got you all out of whack, that's got you off track? Do you want to get well? You see, in our mind we may say, God, I want to get well, but in our heart, do we really, really want to get well? Do we really want to repent? Are we really ready to stop doing what we're doing? Because a lot of times we know what we're doing is wrong, and while in our mind we say we want to stop, in reality, in our heart, we really don't because we keep on doing it. And we make up all these excuses as to why we can't. Oh God, I'm going to stop doing this eventually. If I can just do that, if I can just get here, if I can just get this, if I can just get A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever it is, if this can just happen, then I could be healed. We're just like this guy at the pool. The Lord may be speaking to us saying, look, I want to free you from what you are dealing with. And we're making excuses instead of just saying, yes, Lord, heal me. We're making excuses as to why we need to keep living in sinfulness. Instead of accepting the grace that God has to give us, the mercy that God wants to give us, the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give us, instead of accepting that and living in freedom, we're living under the burden of sin, and we're just like this guy, and we're wallowing around in our sickness on our mat, some of us, maybe for years, maybe even 38 years, or maybe even longer than this guy, because we refuse to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be healed. And Jesus says, Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. 
Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that's interesting. We don't, we don't see, at least in this text, that the guy had any, any, any uh, instances where he asked Jesus to heal him. In the, in the last two miracles that we looked at, someone asked Jesus to do something. And when it came to turn the water to wine, Jesus' mother said, Hey son, will you do this? And in the miracle that we looked at last week with the royal official son who was sick, this man, he seeked out Jesus so he could say, Look, would you heal my son, Jesus? But in this text, this man didn't go out seeking Jesus. And when Jesus appeared, he didn't really seem overjoyed. He didn't seem like his faith was strong. He didn't seem like he had any trust. Here Jesus is coming wanting to heal him. And this man doesn't seem to have any excitement for that. And Jesus heals him anyway. Jesus came to the man right where he was, right in his sickness, right in his illness, right there on his mat, laying right beside the pool where he had put his faith and trust in the pool for his healing. Jesus met him where he was, and he said, Look, I am the one who can heal you. Get up from there. And guess what? The guy was made well. And the same is true for you and I. Jesus wants to meet you where you are. Jesus doesn't give you a checklist. It's not like we read through the Bible and in there God said, here's your checklist. When you're able to accomplish all these things, then I'm going to send Jesus and you can accept Him into your heart. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that there's any checklist that we have to meet because here's God's checklist. Perfection. Boom. Can anybody check that? No, you cannot. If you think you can, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That's God's checklist. Be perfect. We can't do that. We can't be perfect. So guess what God did? He sent Jesus to check that box. Bam! Perfect. And He can apply what He did, His perfection, His death on the cross, His perfect blood that was, that was, that was spilled on our behalf so that we can be forgiven, so that Jesus can meet us where we are and He can say, Come to me, I can heal you. Just come to me and I'll make you well. That's what Jesus can do. We don't have to make our lives perfect and make our lives right for Jesus to come into us. We just have to realize that our life is a mess, that we are sinners bound for an eternity in hell, separated from God, but that there is hope for Jesus Christ and that we are going to seek Him for forgiveness and let Him come into our life and let Him do the transformation. See, we can't change us so Jesus will accept us. When we accept Jesus, Jesus changes us. And I think that's the point that Jesus was trying to get across here. He wasn't just standing in church saying, everybody come in, everybody come in. He was going out into the community. He was going to those people who needed to hear the gospel. He was going to those people who needed to be healed, whether they realized it or not, whether they realized that Jesus had the power. When Jesus came onto the scene, He showed them there is something different, and I have the power to deliver you. And that same Jesus that did all these miracles that we're looking at in the Bible, that same Jesus who had the power to deliver all these people from their circumstances and situation, from their sinfulness, from their illness, is the same Jesus that can deliver you from all those same things. And more importantly than delivering you from your illness and your situation, Jesus can deliver you from your sinfulness. And that is a big deal because you can't do that on your own. It is only through Jesus. 
There may be some of you in this room that Jesus, you, you know that He's there. Maybe Jesus, you feel the Holy Spirit just saying, look, you need to accept the Lord. And you're just kind of wallowing around in your mat and you're missing Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. He is coming to meet you where you are. Don't let the devil convince you of the lie that you have sinned too much, that you have gone too far. Jesus knew how much you were going to sin and what you were going to do before He died on a cross. And He still died for you. So you have hope. You have hope that Jesus is here. He wants to meet you where you are so that He can transform your life. Praise the Lord, we don't have that burden of having to get everything perfect in our life. Because we could never do it. But when we accept Jesus and begin to follow Him, everything falls into place. Verse 8, Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, Pick up your mat and walk? They asked, but the man who was cured did not know who it was, because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now those are some interesting verses right there. So here we have this miracle that has taken place. I mean, some of the Jews had to have known who this man was, it would seem. I mean, this man had been laying there for 38 years. So it would seem logical to think that some of the Jews would have known this man, would have known that whatever he had, it wasn't getting better anytime soon. He had had it for 38 years, and he was going to have it until he died, if Jesus hadn't intervened, I believe. And so whatever he had had been wrong for a long time. These Jews, some of them, had to have seen this man, and all of a sudden, they see a man who had been ill for 38 years, and they see that he is healed by a miracle instantaneously, miraculously. What would we do? Most of us can probably think of somebody that we know that has suffered from some illness their whole life. And the doctors say they will never be healed. What would be our reaction if all of a sudden that person walked in this church door and we saw them right here today walking for the first time, talking for the first time, able to see, able to speak, able to do things that they could never do? What would our reaction be? I think our reaction would be, Oh, wow! That is so awesome! Look at this! He can walk. This is great. I think that would be our reaction. Now, I think that would be my reaction. Hopefully that would be y'all's. And we would say, praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Look at what you've done. But that's not what the Jews did. The Jews saw this man who had been sick and ill for 38 years, and they saw him walking, and their first response is, what are you doing about walking, and why are you toting that match? You are sinning against the Lord. What in the world is going on? It's the Sabbath day. You can't pick up your mat. They considered that work. See, there was those crazy Jews. They were trying to follow the letter of the law. Can't work on a Sabbath. And here this guy was picking his mat up, and they missed a miracle because they were too focused on tradition and religion that had been passed down, and they totally missed Jesus. And that's just a sign of what's to come, because guess what? I'll go ahead and tell you if you hadn't read the rest of it. They don't ever get it, most of them. Most of these people, they never get it. 
Jesus was with them for probably almost three years doing ministry, doing miracle after miracle, turning water into wine, wine, healing sick people, healing sick people, uh, feeding thousands of people with a couple of fish and five loaves, bringing people up from the dead. Jesus did all of these things and they missed him every time. Do you know why? Because they were too focused on man-made religion and tradition that they missed the miracles of Jesus Christ. They missed who Jesus was. Just as they had missed what the purpose of the law in the Old Testament was and what God des God's desire was for the heart, it was never about the letter of the law. It was always about the heart. God even made that clear in the Old Testament. Jesus preaches so greatly on that in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5-7. through seven. Jesus nails the point. And after all that, all of their reading, all of their study, and all of their man-made wisdom that they had, they did not understand who Jesus was. They did not understand what God's desire was for their life. And in the midst of a miracle, all they were worried about is that a guy was walking around toting a mat on a certain day of the week. Now, are we ever so foolish to do that? Are we ever so foolish that we miss something that God wants to do in our life or in our church? A miracle that God may want to do through us, a ministry that God is calling us to, but we refuse to acknowledge it, we refuse to do it because it's different than anything that we've ever done before and we are too caught up in religion and we are too caught up in tradition that maybe we are missing Jesus Christ and maybe we are missing miracles that Jesus wants to do through us. I believe the answer to that is yes. I believe sometimes we do that, especially on a, in a church level as a, as a body of Christ. I think sometimes we are guilty of doing that. We are guilty of, of hindering the Holy Spirit from moving because it doesn't line up with what we think things should be. It doesn't line up with what we want to do. And after all, we've never done it that way, so how dare somebody else come in and do something different? That was the problem that the Jews had with Jesus. That was the problem that, the, that the, the Jews had with this man who was sick. They could care less the miracle that had taken place because it messed with what they wanted to do. Let us not be guilty of that, church. Let us not fall into that same trap. Let us look at our own lives. Let us examine our own hearts so that we don't miss out on something that God may want to do in this body. God is still in the miracle business. And sometimes God wants to use us to accomplish His will. And sometimes we don't. Because we miss it. We miss Him. Just like these people did. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now here's another thing that happened in the verse before this is the man couldn't tell him who healed him. He wasn't really even paying that much attention or maybe it was a lot going on. It said there was a large crowd, but the guy didn't even know who healed him. He couldn't even recall who healed him. How many times maybe do we do that in our life? Jesus does something miraculous to us and then we just kind of, we don't even take it serious enough to acknowledge who he is and what he has done. We just kind of go on along our merry way and somebody says, well, what happened to you? Did something happen to us? Whatever. You know, we'd blow it off like it's not anything major at all. 
That's what this guy did. But Jesus wasn't done with this guy yet. Jesus wanted to make sure that he come and, 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 and preached to this guy a little bit and taught him and, and made sure that he understood the point of what took place. And so it would seem to me that the guy at least acknowledged that it was God who had done the healing. After all, he went to the temple complex. So my guess is, this is just my guess, my opinion. It may not be right. You, you may differ. But my thought is on this is that he went to give praise to the Lord for healing him. So he at least it was acknowledging that God had healed him. And so Jesus went to the temple complex to seek him out. And when he found him there, he told him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore. Now, that's not uncommon for us to see that in the text, that Jesus would, would deliver someone from whatever their situation or their, or their sickness would be, and he would say these words, Do not sin anymore. Go and sin no more. Something along those lines Jesus would point out. He would say, Look, you have been delivered now. You have experienced my grace, my mercy, my healing, my deliverance. Now, go and do not sin anymore. But then this next part is kind of tough because he says, So that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, that's a tough verse because that, that makes us ask a tough question. And that is, if we do enough bad stuff, could that cause physical things to happen to us? I think the answer to that is yes. I think that it is not at all beyond the realm of possibility that God could bring us into punishment for our sinfulness. I believe God could just do it. He could just snap his fingers. He could say the word. He could make whatever he wanted to happen to us. I believe that God could do that. But even if God doesn't do that, there are still consequences for our sinfulness. There are still consequences for our, our reckless living and our sinfulness that can have effects on our body and on our life. And I think that that's what Jesus was, was, was telling this guy here. Hey, you've been healed. Go and sin no more. Maybe it was a sin that got this guy in this position. Maybe that's why God is telling him this. I don't know why the Lord is telling him this here. I don't know why Jesus is saying, look, go and sin no more. But there was obviously a reason. I think, I think in the immediate context, it's the same for you and I. And that is, look, if we've been delivered, we don't want to keep living in sin anymore. But in a grander context, in the grand scheme of things, and in an eternal context, what I think Jesus was also doing was pointing this guy past the here and now. I don't think he was just talking about sinfulness affecting him in this world. I think what Jesus was trying to convey when he says something worse will happen is Jesus is talking about an eternity separated from the Lord an eternity that we would spend in hell apart from the Lord. And that is, if we keep living in our sinfulness apart from Jesus Christ, then something much worse is going to happen when we leave this world than anything that could possibly happen while we are in this world. So we need to heed Jesus' advice here. Because there are many in this room that Jesus has delivered. He has delivered you from your sinfulness. He has delivered you from all those things that you do that are opposed to God's will. And we get grace from the Lord and we repent of those things. And we don't want to continue to live in sinfulness. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus 
who had made him well. All right, so he finally knows. At first he didn't know who made him well. Now Jesus has, has come to him a second time in the temple complex, and the guy went to tell the Jews. Now I don't know. We can, we can kind of read into this a couple different things. One, he was going to get him in trouble. He knew the Jews were mad, and he kind of went and tattled. It was him. He's the one that did it. You was fussing at me for carrying my mat, but go get on to him. That's, that could have been his, his motive. Or he could have just been excited. He could have been thinking, whoa, this is the guy who delivered me. I finally see him. I had time to think about it. I realized what took place. It's a miracle. I want them to know who that guy is so they can go talk to him. Maybe he can do a miracle for them. We don't know what the, what the reason was or why the guy went back to the Jews and told him that, but he realized who Jesus was. He went back to the Jews and he told them that it was the Jews who had made him well. Verse 16, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, here we go. Same point, just to reiterate, they were more focused about a day of the week than about the Son of God. They were more focused on about doing things the way that they wanted to do them than they were the Son of God. Again, we have to be careful. We have to be careful, church, that we don't just go through the motions. It is easy for us to do, Christian, especially if you've been coming to church for years. We get up. We feel like, oh, we've got to dress a certain way. We've got to go to church on a certain day. We're going to sit in this certain pew. We're going to sing these handful of songs. And we just get to going through these motions. And we come through the doors of the church. And we do our routine. All the while, we miss Jesus. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of, in my lifetime, coming through those doors, sitting on the pew, and doing everything right by the human checklist of religion, and leaving out the doors, and not once having an experience with the Lord while I was here. Do you know why? Because I wasn't seeking the Lord. I was just here. I was thinking about, is my ball, game, my ball team going to win? I was thinking about, what am I going to do tonight? I was thinking about, what's going to happen at work next week? What's going to happen at school tomorrow? I got a big math test coming up, and I'm going to fail it, which happened a lot. My math teacher's sitting there. She can, she can tell you that that was the case. All these things go through our mind. All these thoughts go through our mind, and we're looking at somebody else, and we're thinking about what they did and what they're seeing is, and this person sitting next to us, opening up a peppermint, taking them 10 minutes and crackling and creaking, and the baby's crying, and this is going, on and that's going on and the preacher's repeating himself and he's boring and he's talking about a bunch of history and manuscripts and all these things and we leave church and not once do we experience Jesus Christ because our heart doesn't want to because we, we just we, we did all the checklists, we got up, we dressed nice, we come to Sunday school, we gave a little offering and we're going home and all is well. And we miss Jesus. And that's exactly what the Jews did. They was going through all the right motions. They were doing everything right. And they missed Jesus. But Jesus responded to them, My Father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill Him. Not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. This is... At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we, we see just in this first few verses in John that we look at, that it's already started out rough. Jesus hadn't done anything wrong at this point. All He's doing is loving people. That's all He's doing. That's all He does through His whole ministry. He loves on people. Every once in a while, He might call somebody out. He may tell them what's what, but always out of love. 
always out of love because he doesn't desire for them to continue in their sinfulness and their sinful lifestyle and whatever is going on. That's all Jesus does. That's all we see of him in the, in the Bible is that he loves people. He heals people. He feeds people. That sounds like a pretty good guy, right? And they killed him. Just because he was doing the right thing. Just because he was doing what God called him to do. Now Christian, I'm going to tell you, if you're in here today and you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus Christ, it ain't no different for us. You know, we see, we see ISIS and we see all these things and all these Christians that are being killed. We think that this, this is some kind of new thing, that this has just started. That has not just started. It has been going on for decades, for centuries. It has been going on. The people were hostile toward Jesus. They were hostile toward the apostles. They were hostile toward the early church. People have been hostile toward the gospel ever since Jesus Christ came. And I've got news for you. They are going to be hostile to the gospel until Jesus Christ comes back. It is not easy, Christian. It is not easy. It is easy if we just come to church once a week and we sit in these walls in our air conditioning in our safety of our free country and listen to somebody preach and go on our merry way. That is pretty easy. But God doesn't call us just to do that. I think God does call us to come and to worship. That's an important thing, to fellowship and to worship and to grow and to teach and to learn what God's Word says. I think that those are biblical things that God commands us to do that we should do. But that's not all God commands us to do. And that's where it gets tough. When God says, I want you to go through that door and I want you to go out into this world and I want you to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? It's not easy. When you go out into this world and you begin to tell people about Jesus Christ, some of you know what I'm talking about. You are faced with a lot of hostility, a lot of hate, and it's tough. Now praise the Lord that we live in Liberty, Mississippi and that we can come here freely today without worrying about losing our life. But it may not always be that way. You may not like that. You may not want to hear it. You may not think that that's the case, but that's the reality. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are in countries who are losing their life every day to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And do you know why they do that? Do you know why they go and they give their life for Jesus Christ? Because that's what He did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. He gave His life for us. He gave everything He had because He loved us and because He desired that we would not have to be in this place for all of our life. That we would not have to be in hell for all of eternity. Jesus died on the cross because He loved us enough and His desire was to be with us for all of eternity. And so He poured out His grace and His mercy upon us by giving His life on a cross so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be with Him. And what love that is. And when we experience Jesus Christ and we're walking in, 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 a, in a relationship with Jesus Christ and we're spiritually excited for Him and we're living for Him, then that will change our heart. That will give us the same heart of love that He had. That desire to go out and say, look, I don't care what people say, people in this world are evil, but they need to hear the gospel. Jesus went to the worst of the worst. He went to the sick man in the pool. He went to all the sick people that He, that he come in contact with. He went to the sinners. Why? Because the well don't need a doctor. It is the sick who need a doctor. 
Jesus doesn't call us to anything that He Himself has not already given us the example of. It is not always going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it is very seldom going to be easy. It is difficult for us to go out and to live for the Lord. And we may experience some hostility. But let us not give up. Let us know that the same Lord that did this miracle today, the same Jesus that can forgive you of your sins, can forgive all the other evil people in this world who were just like us. Because apart from Jesus Christ, we're just evil sinners. But the same Jesus who did that miracle in this story is the same Jesus who died for us and gave us grace. And He's the same Jesus that He says, look, go and tell the world about me. Because not only does He want us to be there with Him for all eternity, He wants all people to be there with Him for all eternity. Not all are going to accept Him. Not all are going to listen to the good news of the Gospel. But Jesus has the power to save. And it's up to us to let people know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You and we thank You for Your good Word this morning. Even though there may be some things in there that are kind of confusing and tough, we talk about manuscripts and all this other stuff. And God, it's good as Christians that we try to learn and understand as much as we can about Your Word. But, but God, just for a second, that, 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 those, those couple verses are neither here nor there, God. For a second, let us, let us not miss the point of, of Your Word. God, we look in these verses and we see about those, those Jews that just missed You, Lord Jesus. God, let us not be so foolish as to, to do just what they did, God. Let us not be so foolish as to miss you, Lord Jesus. Maybe there are some in here that have already accepted you, Jesus, that are, that are yours, they're Christians, and they just, they've gotten off track and they just don't, they don't think enough about what you did. They've lost the, the focus just to how awesome you are for giving your life for us. God, I pray that you'd help them to, to get back on track, to repent, to seek you. God, maybe there are some in this room that have never accepted you, Lord Jesus. Maybe today something clicked. Maybe they've sit in a church service hundreds, thousands of times. Maybe, maybe there are some in here that's just been, been, been living in religion, dear Lord. They're doing everything religion calls for. But God, you don't call for us to be religious. You call for us to be made righteous through Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that if there is one in this room today that does not know you, Lord Jesus, that they would come to you that they would ask you to be their Lord and Savior, that they would ask you for forgiveness, that they would ask you to come into their heart, that they would ask you to just take care of them, dear Lord, to love on them, to be their Lord, to be their Savior, and that they would follow through, God, that they would confess that to the world, that they'd let everybody know that I am a Christian, that they'd follow through in baptism, God, just as your word commands. And so as we have this song of invitation, dear Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks, that you would touch the hearts of those here today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.